how many people are ready and hungry for the word today? Yeah? Awesome. Um, you know, we've been in a message series for the last number of weeks called The Power Of, and uh, if you've missed any of those services, you can catch any of them on our podcast channel or on our website and go back and listen to the power of prayer, the introduction of the power of, the first one, the power of prayer, power of uh, thoughts, power of grace, and today we're going to be talking about the power of words. And the whole idea around this message series is that as a child of God, you're created to live a life of power, marked by power. You know, we don't get God's spirit on the inside of us uh, in fullness of power to only begin walking and living a powerless life that's no different than the life we lived before. There's a major change, a major transition that takes place when God's spirit comes to live on the inside of us. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that lives in us now who know him. And so if that's true, that means the full power, the full reign of the kingdom of God actually exists in you who know Christ and ought to be exercised or demonstrated, if you will, outwardly in the way we live our lives from that point on. That's a way that we're called. It's a part of how God's evidence in our lives is shown. It's a part of how God is glorified. It's a part of how more people come to know God because they see the demonstration of that power. They feel that love that's inside of us that God has given us, pouring out of us and, and, and reaching other people. And so we want to look at the scriptures and we want to understand how do we walk in power? What does it look like to walk in power? Looking at things like how we uh, live our prayer life. There's a powerful, fervent, on-fire prayer life, and there can also be you know, a prayer life that's very dry and powerless and mundane that's just very legalistic or go through the motions that never accomplishes anything for the kingdom. And our desire, our heart, is to really compel and provoke us all on, spur us all on, as the scriptures say, to greater things of God, to more of his power in our lives. And so I'm talking about our words today. And words are so incredibly important. In fact, it's Mother's Day, so I thought it was fitting and open with this scripture out of Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, the whole chapter is a beautiful section about a, a virtuous woman, a godly woman. Verse 26 says that about a virtuous woman, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. And so, you know, you see clearly that the words that come out of our mouths, they're not just, it's not just noise, it's not just sound, they carry with them something more. They can elicit emotion, they can elicit response and feelings, they can bring uh, God's will, they can edify and build up a situation or opposite, they can tear down and, and bring a situation down if their words filled with doubt and hopelessness and despair. We've got to realize how significant the words that leave our lips truly are and the impact that they have. That's why David would say in Psalms, he would say, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, which the meditations of our heart, those are like thoughts. So he's pairing up words and thoughts. Both go together so 
uh, uniquely and, and precisely in how they influence our actions, right? If we think about things or we speak about things over and over again, they ultimately develop a pattern in our lives, a belief system in our lives that influences how we act day to day. So the words that we speak have a great impact. David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. Let them be pleasing to you. He's saying, God, I don't want to say anything with my words. I don't want to use my words in any way that doesn't align with what pleases you and what you would have for me to say. I don't want to say anything that is contrary to what you want me to say or what you have planned for my life. We see this great amount of importance that's placed on them. And I think that's the first step that we've got to get to, is that we have to properly give the value that's due, the appraise, uh, the, give the appraisal of our words what is required. It's kind of like if you have some sort of a very valuable heirloom or antique or something in your home that's very important, carries a lot of value to you, maybe even monetarily. You treat it differently, don't you? I mean, you protect it, you put it up where the kids can't get it. Lord knows they destroy everything. So you, you want to make sure if it's valuable, you treat it that way. You just you deal with it differently. You watch over it differently. You take different kind of care of it. So we have to properly assess the value to our words that the scriptures clearly indicate that they deserve. That's why David would say something like that. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God. And when we do, when we realize that, we begin to say, okay, now that I realize my words are so important and so significant, I want to make sure that I am mindful of how I'm speaking and what I'm speaking. Because the Bible says in many places that the, our words can actually build up or they can tear down. In fact, if you've got your Bible with you, go with me quickly to uh, James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we're going to begin here today. And these are a great number of verses that are just talking about our words, and, and James actually uses the term our tongue to describe this. And we're going to begin in verse 2. So read along with me if you've got your Bible. It says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set so among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature as it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. 
stop right there. This is strong language. And James, first of all, he's giving us three comparisons to words in our tongue. Three analogies. He says, first of all, it's like a bit in a horse's mouth. Secondly, he says it's like a small little rudder on a big ship, turns it wherever it goes. And thirdly, he says it's like a little spark that can ignite an entire forest fire, a wildfire that's out of control. And so the, the, the clear indication is that even though our tongue and our words are seemingly small and how they compare to our overall body and everything else that's a part of our lives, that ultimately the impact, the effect that they can bring, either positive or negative, is massive and far-reaching and all-encompassing to how it affects the journey that we are on day to day. And he says that it can bring death, or he says it can bring blessing or cursing. Isn't that crazy how we can be speaking such encouraging and enriching words and improving the quality of our environment with what we're saying or just really encouraging someone even in their spirit with the things that we would say about them as they're going through a tough time. And then all of a sudden we can turn right around and say something so defeating and so negative and so down that it can completely change the whole atmosphere of where we are. And that's what James is saying. No man can tame the tongue. You know, we're, we're not perfect. We're people. But he's trying to get our attention and say, listen, you need to bridle it. You need to get a hold of it. You need to allow what's coming out of your mouth to be more like fresh water coming out of a spring, he says in a later verse, than bitter water that would come out of a spring. Which way are you going to go? Which direction is it going to be? Proverbs also says that death and life both come from our words, from the power of the tongue. So we have to understand that, that our words, once they leave our lips, once they come into the atmosphere, we're speaking into a situation and there is an effect, there is an impact that they're going to have. They're not just empty, they don't just carry nothing with them. They actually carry something as they leave our mouths that have the ability to affect things from that point on. And when we understand that, we approach that differently, right? I know so much with us with raising our children, we want to teach them how to act and what to do and help them to know the right habits and behavior, certainly. But many times, Katie and I will find ourselves talking to our kids about the quality of the words that they're using about things. Not just the action or the thing itself, but the way that they're actually speaking about it. You know, Dad, I can't do this. Or, Dad, no, this is too hard. Or, uh, I'm just never going to be able to figure this out. You, need, you can't you stop talking like that, right? That's inconsistent with what God says about you. And so, so much of our uh, approach in raising our children has to do with helping them know how to talk about things, to speak about things, because we understand they're actually seeding the soil of their lives with things that are going to continue to grow just by the words that they're depositing as they're speaking them. Does it make sense? We had this morning, it was so fitting, uh, my, one of my daughters, Alyssa, she come up to me while I was kind of preparing and, and praying this morning, going over my notes and she comes up real serious, you know. Alyssa's eight, by the way. She's one of the twins. And she says, Dad, I got I to gotta talk to you. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, seems pretty serious. She's like, it's about Liza. 
Now, Liza's our four-year-old, okay? I'm like, oh. And if you know Liza, you're like, okay, what is it now, you know? She's like, yeah, it's about what she said to Evie. Now, Evie is our six-year-old, so I'm, I'm knee-deep now, all right? I'm like, all right, what's going on? My eight-year-old's telling me it's about my four-year-old, what she said to my six-year-old. And I'm like, well, what did she say? She's like, she told her to shut up. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. And I'm like, she's like, don't worry, Dad. I had a talk with her. <laughs> so my eight-year-old had a talk with my four-year-old about the words that she was saying. And I was like, well, that's wonderful. What did you say to Liza, my four-year-old daughter, about what she said to Evie, my six-year-old daughter? She's like, I told her that we don't speak like that to our elders. <laughs> Dead serious, as plain as she could be. I just let it go. Fair enough. Oh, man. But, you know, it's so true, guys, that the words that we speak have such an impact on things. And I want you to think about this. Look in the, look in the Bible and think about the way words are used. Now, we would automatically just know and understand that words are used to communicate, right? I mean, if Katie and I sit down in a room and we just sat there for several hours and never said a word... I might be okay with it, but I know she wouldn't. Uh, we got to talk. You got to use words. So it, it, it obviously is a basis for communication, right? We get to know each other. We draw close together by exchange of words in our communication. But did you know that words, a lot of times in the Bible, are not actually used to communicate. They're used to create. Think about this. Jesus, of course, spoke to people to communicate his message, but what else did he speak to that wasn't a person, so he wasn't communicating with a person, he spoke to one time a storm, you remember that? He spoke to it, like he used words and he spoke to a storm, not a person, he wasn't communicating with a person, he was creating a situation, he was creating the Lord's will in a situation, he spoke to Satan, Many times, right, in announcing to him where he belonged. He spoke to demons. He spoke to a tree. Do you remember that? He cursed the tree, and the tree shriveled up and died because it wasn't producing fruit. So Jesus shows us this awesome example of using words, of course, to convey the message of his coming and who he was as the Messiah. But he also used words many times to speak to things, to announce his authority, to announce the will of God, the reign of the kingdom of God, and to create heaven's will here on earth. So those two things were colliding and conflicting simply because of the words that he was releasing over the atmosphere. And we have the ability to do that too. When Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Well, God put his spirit in us. And when we speak, if we speak in consistency and alignment with what the word of God says about who we are or about the authority we have, we are releasing that same power, that same authority that Jesus was releasing to change the outcome of the atmosphere around us. He spoke to all these different things, but it wasn't in communication. It was so he was creating the will of God. It was bringing the will of God to pass through his life and through his words. Think about the very first use of language ever, ever. What was it? To create, not to communicate. God said, let there be light, and it was. Isn't that unbelievable? 
And there's this whole section as you go on through Genesis more and more where God said, let there be plants and animals and all these things. And it was. He spoke and he created his will and he was using words as he was doing that. I think that's one of the most powerful messages that we can grab from all the scriptures. Our heavenly Father, we are made in our heavenly Father's image, in His likeness, and right. And we carry, we he, we are designed to walk in those qualities that He has. And so, as we use words, we have to recognize that they have the ability to advance the will of God, to build it up or to see it torn down and destroyed and, and, and decayed because the words that we speak could not align with what the Bible says when they're words of doubt or hopelessness or fear or discouragement that don't agree with the, with the identity of who we are in Christ. And that's a real clear message that we see all through the scriptures. I want to show you a story about building up about building up and how our words can create. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. And uh, this is a pretty famous part of the Bible, but Ezekiel, he's a prophet, and, and he has this vision of a valley that's filled with dry, dead bones. And I want you to see what the Lord has him do to change the atmosphere of this whole situation. Chapter 37, verse, verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Brought me out in the spirit. So he's having a vision. And then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. So bones, indicating death, lifelessness. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And so I answered, O Lord God, only you know. And again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, speak to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now watch this in verse 7. So I prophesied or spoke, as I was commanded, so as God already gave him the words to speak, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And so he, God, said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is a powerful, powerful picture. 
Ezekiel has this vision. It's a valley of dry bones. It's dead. It's lifeless. There's nothing living in the situation. Who could ever relate to that? Where you see a landscape that you think is supposed to be something else. God wills or intends something different for your life, for your future. But right now it looks desolate. It looks barren. It looks dry. You don't see any signs of life. Right? It's not like it's kind of starting to germinate. There's a little bit of vegetation. You know, it's, there's no life in this place whatsoever. It's totally dead. And God says to him, I want you to speak to these bones. I want you to speak into this situation. I think that's real interesting. He doesn't bring them out and say, look at them, think about this for a while. He says, okay, there's death here. Can it live? Yes, it can live. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to speak to it. I want you to say things to it. I want you to declare things to that. And when you've spoken the words that I've given you to speak, then once that's happened and you've said that in faith, then I will supernaturally come in and I will make that which is dead begin to have life. Isn't that amazing? So God's saying to us, guys, look, He's given us, he's spoken to us, he's declared to us his ways, his promises, his plans for who he's called us to be. And when we speak in alignment with that and we declare that in faith over our lives, then God supernaturally can bring to life things that are dead, decaying, and look like there is no sign of, lifelessness, of life in them whatsoever. I think it's one of the most amazing things is that when we speak, God responds and begins to change the atmosphere of the things that are happening. We serve, the Bible says, that he is the God who calls to things that do not exist as though they are, and then they become. So we carry in us God's spirit, and as we speak words that have faith and have alignment with what God has already said to us, much like he said to Ezekiel, I'm going to give you the words, now you speak them. He's saying to us, I've given you my word, now speak it. And speak it to dead situations, speak it to lifeless situations, and watch and see if whatever those bones in your life are, my spirit doesn't come in and begin to breathe life into everything around there. Where no life exists, I can bring life into fullness and fruitfulness in the land that you're living in. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. And, you know, there's another story that's just the opposite that I want to take you to. I love contrasting these two stories when we talk about words. Because we see Ezekiel speaking life, building up, creating, and edifying the situation. But go, to, go in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and let's contrast, all right? I'm going to begin in verse 5, and this story is about a guy named Zacharias. Zacharias was the father of John the Baptist, the messenger that prepared the way for the Messiah. And Zacharias was married to a woman named Elizabeth who was barren, who could not have children, all right? Now... I want you to pay real close attention to what happens to, to, to Zacharias and thinking about words and the things that we speak. Verse 5, it was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, that a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was while he was serving as the priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, that his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So the priests, he's not the high priest, but the priests, they would take turns going into the temple to, the, to burn incense and keep the incense going inside the temple of God. The high priest would go once a year to make the sacrifice for the atoning sacrifice back behind in the Holy of Holies. But Aaron or Zacharias is a, is a priest, and so he's doing his duty that probably would only come once every great now and then, maybe once a year, that he would go in, he would be the one to do the incense. So that's where he is, is in the is in the back behind the temple. And it says, so um, in verse 10, so the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So they would all stand outside and watch the priest go in and do this. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's room, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, so an anointing of, the prof, of a prophet, to turn their hearts to the, of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the will, wisdom of the just, to make ready a people who are prepared for the Lord. So stop right there and think about this. This is a, a miraculous experience. Zacharias is in the temple. He's burning incense. An angel appears to him. His wife is barren. They want to have children. He announces to him that he's going to conceive a son. God able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we think or ask. But not only a son, a son that will actually be a messenger that will walk in the spirit of the prophet Elijah and he'll prepare the way for the Messiah. His son's going to have a mighty purpose and a destiny for his life. Now, I don't know about you. I sometimes kind of make the mistake of reading certain stories in scripture and I think, why would the guy do that? I would have done something so different than that, right? I'm thinking, if I see an angel and I'm in there and he's telling me this, like, I would never respond the way that Zacharias responds. I think. I don't know. But listen to what he says. After this vision, after this place that we see that he's in with their heart to have kids, verse 18, and Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is well advanced in years. Just a note, guys, never talk about your wife's age whenever. <laughs> Not a good idea. So he says, how can this be? The words that he speaks in response to what this angel is speaking to him and trying to declare over him are completely contrary to the words that God has just delivered to him. Do you see that? They become directly in opposition. 
Zacharias is actually speaking now in consistency with the world's kingdom, and the angel is trying to declare to him words that are in, in alignment with heaven's kingdom. And Zacharias is, is, they're warring against each other now. These words become in direct opposition. So Zacharias says, can't be done. I'm old. My wife's even older. Forget about it. It's never going to happen. Oh, I, don't, I think he said that. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> Something like that. So verse 19, listen to where this gets him. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not sound like this is going to go good. Verse 20. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Wow. Don't you sometimes wish God would do that with people in your life, you know? <laughs> Gabriel, you remember that deal you did with Zechariah? You throw one of them in for me right now? Anyway, he comes in. And he shuts him up. He seals his mouth. He says, you're not, you're not going to be able to speak any more words until this thing has reached its fulfillment. Because you've just spoken a word of death to a, a, a something that I am trying to birth that's going to change the history of the world. And God showed me this one time. I thought this was real interesting that when, John, when Zacharias gets this message about John, he's not even conceived yet, actually. And so Zacharias speaks a message of doubt and of death that conflicts with what God is trying to do, and he seals his mouth, and so he's, he's mute. He can't speak any more words, and he keeps him silent all the way up until John is an infant. Now, if you read further in chapter 1, I'm not going to do that now, you'll see that there's this point when John, the baby, is an infant, and people are asking what his name is, and Elizabeth says his name is John, and people are like, we don't know anybody in your family by that name, that doesn't sound right, so they go to Zacharias, and they ask him what is the name, because they're trying to get a good answer here, and Zacharias is having to write on a tablet and show people what he's wanting to say, because he's mute. Well, as he's writing on the tablet and he writes his name is John, his lips begin to be unloosed and he then begins to be able to speak again. And he begins to give glory and honor to God with his words. And then he goes on to prophesy through the rest of chapter 1 about his son John and how he will be the, the forerunner of the Messiah. It's one of the most amazing prophecies in all of Scripture. And it, it, it totally uh, it gives you what God's will and plan is for this child's life. But here's what I'm trying to make a point of. Is that God had to silence Zacharias all the way prior to the conception phase, because with the child, there's conception, and then there's incubation, which is the carrying or the maturing process that gets it healthy and ready before it can actually be birthed. There's that birth process, and then there's the growth phase. God shut Zacharias up through conception, 
through incubation or maturation and through the birth process and didn't allow him to speak again until it was time for that thing that had now already been birthed to be able to grow further. Because he said, this is too important. This is too significant to my plan. And I'm not going to allow you to speak words of, of doubt, of hopelessness, of death over this situation. It's too significant. I'm just going to shut you up because I'm going to get it through conception. I'm going to get it through maturation. And I'm going to get this thing birthed so it has life. And then I'll let you speak about it again after that. Isn't that amazing? I need to shut you up through all of this because this thing needs to get birthed and come to pass, and I can't afford to have you speaking about it with words of doubt and death and hopelessness. We'll get this thing into the stage where it's in its infancy and it's got life before I'll let you speak about it again, and then hopefully you'll get your act together after that, (laughs) which he did, right? But isn't that something? You've got a story of Ezekiel. It is speaking words that are creating and bringing life to dead situations. And you got a story of Zacharias who just gets announced this incredible purpose and destiny for him and his wife and their son. And he responds in a message of doubt and death and hopelessness. And he gets shut up. But I wonder, guys, I wonder how often we speak more like Zacharias was speaking When God is trying to conceive something in our hearts. He's saying, I want to speak it into conception in your life. I'm going to have to grow it and mature it in you before it can get birthed. And then I'm going to birth this thing. And then I'm going to grow and expand this thing in your purpose and in your destiny. But you're going to have to speak about it with words of life all the way through. Isn't that amazing? But if we're going to speak completely opposed to what God is saying and what his word is saying, then I wonder how much damage that we're actually doing to what God is trying to create. Because I think he's, when, when Zechariah said this, I think he said, this isn't going to work. I, I need a canopy of faith around this child. I, I need an atmosphere of faith and words of life that are constantly being spoken around this. I want to elevate people's faith around what I'm doing here to really bring this thing into the world and produce my purpose and my plan for mankind before my son comes. This is just too significant. You know what? God has things that he wants to do in your life. I promise you, they're just too significant. He can't, you can't speak words of death and of life and expect them to incubate and mature and still reach a healthy birthplace. And God wants to do something in you. He will bring it into conception. He will grow it through maturation, and it will reach a proper, healthy birthplace where it can come into your life, and then it will still be able to continue to grow and prosper into so much more. Amen? Who's thankful for that today? But think about it. The words that we're speaking are so relevant and so significant to what's happening in that atmosphere, that realm of faith and of the Spirit around us. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I see these things, it causes me to take a step back and realize how important and how valuable my words truly are. And to take assessment, to take inventory of the quality of the words that are consistently leaving my lips every single day.
Now, next week, because this is going to take two parts to do, but next week, I want to talk to you about where the power source comes from for us to be able to consistently speak in a way that is consistent and aligned with what the word of God has already been spoken over us. Because God has given us that ability. We are not perfect. Obviously, we will never do this perfectly. But let me say something to you. There is one man who walked the earth who did tame the tongue. His name was Jesus. He was God and he was man. And he tamed the tongue. You know how I know that? He says, every word that I speak to you, yes, every one, they are not my words, but they are the words of my Father. I don't speak to you on my own authority, but of the authority of the one who sent me. Every single word, every word that left Jesus' mouth was divinely inspired. He never missed the mark. He tamed the tongue. And that's something? Stand to your feet with me today. <clears throat> yeah, Jesus did. He tamed it. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. So that power source... It was with Jesus is with us. And I want you to just ask God, help you to understand the value your words hold. I mean, the Bible's so clear. They, they can create or they can destroy. They can build up or they can tear down. And so if that's true, then all of your, your whole purpose depends on this. Everything God wants to do in your life is attached to this. The words that you're speaking every single day. I love the fact, love the fact that God has given us the ability to use words not only to communicate but also to create, to produce things of faith in our life that are God's will being birthed into this world and changing the whole atmosphere around us. I consider it a, a great responsibility that my words can encourage all of you, that my words could build up or tear down any one of you, any of my friends or family, anyone that I have a great relationship with, that my words can improve, edify, and strengthen them when I speak in consistency with what God has already spoken. It's a great mandate, and we all carry it. We all carry it. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you, Lord, that you would just help this message get deep in our heart. We would recognize how important the words that we speak truly are, God. Help us to see when words begin to leave our lips that are inconsistent and misaligned with what your word already says. God, let there be a conviction that rises up that causes us to stop. It changed the direction and changed the course of the words that we're using. Help us to know your word more and more every day, Father, so that we can speak it into our own lives and into the lives of people around us. I ask that you would just strengthen each and every person here today in their faith and in their knowledge of you. May we all go forward and 
improved and edified through this word today and walk more online and on track with what your path for us is, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, I hope this has helped you today. Power of words, man. Power of words. I'm looking forward to next week uh, and getting into the second part.